This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn it's the Skate Pod on WEEI. All right, welcome into episode 64 of the Skate Podcast. Scott, episode 64. Latest Bruin to wear that number. I'm going to catch you off guard here. I know uh, it. Yeah. I thought of it quickly. Bridget, you, you, as well, if you know it. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's very, very random. Latest one to wear 64. Yes. I'm clock's ticking, blank. clock's I'm ticking. I'm drawing a blank. What year? Oh boy, uh, maybe like fifteen, sixteen for a cup of coffee. He was a fighter. Tommy Wingles? No. Nope. Forget what number he was. It was in the dark days of like uh, they what before before they drafted McAvoy or, or whatever. But it was Tyler Randall. Uh, uh, Tyler I Randall. Yeah. Bruins legend. That would have taken me a while. <laughs> <laughs> I figured such. Um. So anyway, so uh, Tyler Randall episode of uh, the Skate Podcast and um. This episode, we'll be talking about the the Atlantic Division breaking down the Bruins' chances and the, you know making the playoffs and going on a run. Um, there is some Bruins news to get into. Um, Cam Neely and Don Sweeney talked about the futures of McAvoy and Bergeron with the Bruins today. But quickly, guys, the NHL season started last night. Uh, opened up on ESPN the first time in 17 years. What did you guys think of the initial broadcast and, and, and the first few games? Uh, I think, well, clearly they had like audio issues early on. You could barely hear the announcers, which they, they, they got rectified. And then they ran into the same issues with the second game. So Some of the preseason know. games, too, the the broadcast picture, like the top of the, what which should have been the top of the screen was coming up at the bottom of the screen. And yeah. the score was like so, popping up in the bottom. And yeah. like it, and, it was and TNT issues. ran into some technical that was, difficulties I there think preseason that was TNT, game. It was but, TNT that had that issue. Yeah. Like, so, so working some kinks out. But in general, uh, you know, that was pretty good. I, I'm going to be honest, like the thing they did on the um, NHL and ESPN theme song, like the introduction with the composer video they did with the composer and, you know, Justin Bieber as as the voiceover, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever. But but like that was great. Like that that got me emotional. That got me ready to go. Oh. And it's like, you know, I got a few texts that piece, said I'm about ready to run through yeah, a wall like, right like now. <laughs> a, a piece of music, you know, a theme song. It's like there aren't many that kind of. He's gonna go to the concert mean, later on. Like that kind of mean that much to fans, but like that's definitely one of them. Yeah. Bridget, it... can, you, can you grab those tissues over there for Scott? <laughs> he's, he's tearing up over here. Uh... Yeah, no, I thought that was really cool, Scott. It was also in that in that introduction, 
they had uh, a bunch of players from Media Day like put the headphones on and and asked them what that song was from. And obviously, a lot of the veterans knew it, but then like a lot of the younger players had no idea what that song was. Um, which is pretty iconic to anybody who grew up in the um, you know mid late nineties and, and and early two thousands as well. So. Um, but yeah, what do you? What did you guys think of the whole the way that Vegas produced the Kraken's oh first gosh. game? That was it, awesome. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, and they, they they always are. Vegas is always awesome with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that it's opening against Vegas, obviously the two most recent teams to be added, and it was just it. I think that was a great idea um, to have them together and to to kind of welcome them to the NHL that way. The whole Kraken thing on the ice was. It was it was pretty cool. It and was. Vegas is one of the only places where you're gonna get that. I just don't understand why they didn't make a point to have Seattle at home for the first game. Like that that seems yeah. like it would have been, you know, a much bigger deal. Have that first game with Seattle Maybe fans, they, the whole introduction. Uh, what it Scott, you might have a better idea of this. I haven't looked into it. Where are they at in terms of like ticket sales? Like, have they? Are they? Oh, I, th- I think they're in really good shape. I think like, yeah, that, everything's sold that's out. That's the only thing I could think of why they might want to start in Vegas. But yeah, no, they're on the road for like their first six or seven or something. So, Is there something to do with the arena? I don't know. I mean, I know that's why the Islanders are on the road. They have thir- yeah. so long the Islanders have thirteen road games to start the year. Yeah. Um, I uh, thought I thought Bridget maybe to answer your question. I think, uh, you know. When you have the first game on ESPN in 17, well, I guess it's the second because it was the second of the doubleheader. But I think there's a lot of trust in uh, in Vegas to put on a show for the for the hockey fans, both old and new, and uh, and it didn't disappoint. I, traditionally, I, I I don't like all the theatrics that go into like arenas and stuff like that. With, with hockey, I'm I'm old school in the sense where it's like I don't even like jumbotron music i just want the organ and like you know some some <laughs> some, some local bruins fans with mullets on but i will say uh um, brian get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> no I some just... of it's cheesy some of it's cheesy and i will say when i went to the it's... winter classic at gillette and they had bands playing in the intermissions people classic bruins fans were booing the musicians because they were just going we want hockey get out yeah. of here like well, the music is so it's so loud and it's like it's it's the third period of a bruins game it's like 2-2 against tampa or montreal and like it, they're just blasting like taylor swift or, or or something like like you know katy perry or something it's like this is not a hockey environment with that said, I thought Vegas did a fantastic job. It was like Disney on ice. Yeah, and and, and it and you know it depends on the market too. Like that. And Brian loves Disney on ice. I, I love Disney. <laughs> that works for Vegas. Like that's what you expect from Vegas. I want to like, go. Some, I want to experience that at some point. Something more traditional, like wouldn't really fit Vegas. Are we going like, to make a Vegas road trip? Uh, sure. Well, uh, whereas like if Boston what and Montreal tries, like if Boston and Montreal tries to do Scott what Vegas, Vegas does, you'd be like, no, he's already rowdy this? enough. Um, I think the uh the the, the hockey last night. You know, um, Pittsburgh, Tampa, again, first game in 17 years on ESPN, a big audience, and, you know, it was kind of a, it was a dud. And um, not having Crosby and Malkin, I know the NHL didn't anticipate that um, for the first game, but the second game between uh, Vegas and Seattle, it's just ironic to me that it's the two babies of the league that are representing the league on on a grand uh, stage, and I thought both of those teams had a very exciting game. I thought that there could have been more physicality, but as far as up and down exciting hockey, especially once Seattle set in uh, settled in after the first half of the game, I thought it was really really uh, a fun game to watch. Yeah, and it was good that Seattle got at least most of the guys who had been on the COVID list back, because for like a couple of days there, it looked like oh my god, they're gonna have like 
their AHL team out there for their first game. And, you know, and they got, like I said, a bunch of them back, you know, Alexiak and some of their forwards. Um, Ryan Donato ends up scoring their first goal. First goal in yeah. Seattle Kraken history. Bruins legend. No, that, that, that's, that's, first goal of the season, Danton Heinen. So that's yes, former Bruins. I was gonna, I place. was just gonna say that yeah. interesting group of guys who scored on the first night. Brian Boyle Brian playing Boyle, for yep. Pittsburgh. A lot scoring. of ties. I thought it was great I it was, story. Brian Boyle, yeah. just being back one of the, the best. Yeah. Massive. I mean, he's he's one of the easiest players to root for in all of sports, in my opinion. He's, uh, I mean, I've interviewed him before, <laughs> back before he had. Um, at the cancer diagnosis, and he rolled up. So it was the BUBC alumni game. He rolled up in like a Porsche or some some nice car. Just gets out like hair all done, yep. and, like looking looking nice in his suit. And it was just like I almost didn't even recognize it as Brian Boyle because you're not used to seeing him put together. It's like you're used to him being out on the ice beating the crap out of people. <laughs> yeah, no, but he was, was a nice dude. Yeah, I'm I'm sure and. Uh... But really cool for Donato to score that first goal in Seattle's uh, franchise history. That's you know fifty years from now he'll be a, he'll be a trivia question. So that's that's really neat. Um, but enough of uh, Vegas and Seattle. We'll we'll get into why you're listening, which is the Bruins breakdown. So before we get into um, season predictions, I guess we'll start McAvoy. A um, little bit of less meat on that bone. So basically, the Bruins are saying that they're trying to get an extension done with him. Um, I guess just your thoughts on that. Yeah, so it was actually, you know, I think a little bit of news dropped by Cam Neely, or at least it certainly seemed like it. Because the, the way he said it was that he hopes to have something done soon, that uh, Don Sweeney and, and Bruins assistant general manager have been talking to McAvoy's camp the last few days, and basically Neely sounded like he believes something's close, uh, which could but he mean... But had, he had contradictory statements, right? He said in short order or something like that, but then he said nothing imminent. So uh, like, well, Sweeney said nothing in it. So I think Sweeney well, tried I, to kind of walk I, back I Neely's s- comments. So those were just two conflicting co- uh, comments, really. Yeah, I kind of wondered if like part of that was like Neely as the boss just being like kind of going public with like a little nudge, like get this over the finish line, Don. Like let's go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I tend to give more credence to Neely's comments, honestly, because like, I don't think he's saying that if something's. Not close, whereas I absolutely understand why Sweeney's going to take the more conservative approach because, like, he's the one directly negotiating with McAvoy's yeah, agent I, and, and doesn't the... want to, you know, assume anything or, like, have to go back to his agent and be like, hey, so, uh, you know, kind of leaked that, like, we're on the verge of getting it done. Like, <laughs> from me. <laughs> I know maybe we're a few days away, but, like, well, let's talk. Yeah. And, and just to finish off. The second half of that quote from Sweeney was nothing imminent, but we're hopeful, which usually is an indicator because he obviously knows everything that's going on. Like, I don't think they'd say that if they weren't pretty sure they would get the deal done. Well, it was unprompted. Like, there was no reason for Neely or Sweeney to say anything on this matter. And the fact that they both did tells me that. um, You know, it's it's around the corner, and you know the timing is uh, interesting because. A lot of young defensemen um, signed some big tickets over the summer. Uh, Zach Wierenski out in Columbus signed for like $9 million a year, whatever it was. Um, oh, there's somebody else that signed for big money too, but I'm blanking on who it was. But obviously McAvoy is one of those guys who's projected to make a ton of money. And I think the fact that the Bruins are getting an extension done now as opposed to a little bit later on when you know he could be a... Um, 
available to other teams to sign. You know, I think they're doing themselves a service now because he'll be, believe it or not, I would imagine McAvoy would be even more expensive later on down the line. Yeah, especially like if he gets, you know, if he sticks in that top power play unit all year and his point total goes up, and then if you get to next season and you know teams are going to know that the salary cap's going up, you know this was a flat cap season, so salary cap starts to go up, like the market for defensemen could go even higher next year. And to, to your point about some of those other deals getting done, just to run through them quickly because there are a bunch this off season. Seth Jones, eight years, nine and a half per year. Darnell Nurse, eight, nine point two five. Miro Heiskinen, eight years, eight point four five. Dougie Hamilton, seven years, nine million. Zach Wierenski, six years, nine point five million. And Kale McCarr, six years, nine million. So like there's your price range. Like it's gonna be Yeah. Bruins would love to get him for eight years. That's the maximum they can sign him for. Um and you know, nine millions per year is probably the starting point. I would say Anything less than that, consider consider the hometown discount. I mean, Heisken in, in the eight range and Makar at nine flat. Those two seem like the best deals of the bunch because, in my opinion, they're the two best defensemen you mentioned, and they're making less than you know a, a Wierenski or a Jones or um, uh, Darnell Nurse and McAvoy. If for, in my opinion is probably the best all-around defenseman of any of the guys you listed. I'm sure McCarr will will have a higher ceiling offensively. But, yeah, I, I, it, like you said, he is going to put up, I would say, I, I think you can probably expect another an additional 15 to 20 points easily out of McAvoy this year just from power play production alone. And like Scott said, that's going to only you know increase his value. So the Bruins are better off getting something done now. Yeah, and like... And I think all these deals we just mentioned, like I think that almost helps get this done because now it's very clear what the market is, what the going rate is for an elite defenseman. So it's like there's not much, you know, like the Bruins aren't going to come in at like seven million a year. It's like you'd be that foolish be to do that given what the market is. Um, you know, the only thing that would hold it up that would prevent it from getting done now and maybe push it back to after the season would be if McAvoy really wanted to bet on himself and say. You know, look, I think I can raise my value even more, and I'm gunning for ten million a year. But McAvoy doesn't seem like that no. kind of player to me. Like I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to hold out for every last dollar. I, I think he likes it in Boston. I think he embraces the idea of. He was being, at the Red Sox game the other day. <laughs> yeah, uh, as were a bunch of them. Yeah, him and Charlie Coyle. Plus, I saw. seem to have a good time. Oh yeah. Was, yep. Um, Jack Eichel was also there, by the way. Ooh. It's, are you reporting something right now? No, he, he was, was in, he he was in photos. Um, yeah, you could you could see him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has nothing to do in Buffalo right now, so like, <laughs> <laughs> why not? Um, oh, God. But yeah, it's like I think I think McAvoy is the kind of player who like embraces the idea that he's going to be sort of the next franchise cornerstone or mm. one of the next. You know, obviously throwing Pasternak, who is going to be up for his own big deal. Uh, I believe two years down the road. So, you know, I think McAvoy embraces that. Like, I don't think he's going to, you know, be looking at it and be like, well, you know, Bergeron's going to retire within a couple years. Like, how much longer is Marshawn left? Do I really want to be here? No, I, I think he wants to be here and embraces the idea of, like, I'm going to be part of whatever comes after this era. Yeah. Well, and also, like, if he's going to be that next wave of leadership, which obviously he will be, um, part of the way that his predecessors led in Marsh and in Bergeron. Um, 
you know, their wallets might not like it, but they led, you know, by taking a little bit less than they were probably worth. Now, McAvoy's a different, he's a different animal because I don't think that Bergeron or Marchand were ever the best player in the league at their position at any one time. They were always, like, right there. Not, especially not, like, when they signed those right. contracts. Like, maybe Bergeron, you could argue, might have been two way the best sure. two-way, yeah. you know. He was definitely the best defensive yeah. center, I mean, sure. it's always just but... been tough to, for him to win that argument with Sidney Crosby in the league right. since 05. So, um, but McAvoy's different. I mean, he he's... He, yeah, I mean he's 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 down in Chicago or over in Chicago in the off season, you know, representing the Bruins during NHL Media Day, and you know he's twenty three years old, four years old, whatever it is. He he's a star in the making um, for the next decade plus in the league, and he's going to make that money. Um, and I think that he looks at the guys in front of him that have been there, and and I think he looks up to the way that they led on and off the ice, and I think he can expect more. I think McAvoy's even commented in the past, you know, not specifically. I'm not going to get my 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 purse but like he, he him and Pashnak like they know what the guys in front of him have done and I think that they're going to try to emulate that to an extent maybe not There's as much as a culture as Bergeron, there but... that kind of do- like it doesn't encourage trying to hold out right. for a deal it kind of is more just historically true that the guys they they just try to figure out what can keep them there and and make it work something fair but not you know, not trying to squeeze any extra money out of it, I guess you could say. Well, it's a hard it's a hard cap league, too. So if you want to be competitive and win, and especially if Bergeron's not going to be here, you know, like, I just think that... Now, Pashnak's an interesting one because he signed for, like, six and change uh, at, at his last contract. And at the time, he was... I think he had scored maybe 35 or six goals in a year. He has since become um, the premier goal scorer in the world, along with Matthews and still Alex Ovechkin. So we'll see if his tune changes in two years from the one that used to be, um, you know, I just like playing hockey and my first meal was at Sarku Japan. Like when I when I signed my contract, like we'll we'll see if that if that tune changes a little bit. But I'm sure um, that they'll be around for a long time. But. And, the, and the other little bit of news, and you kind of alluded it, alluded to it there, was the the comments Neely made about Bergeron, which kind of raised some people's attention. And just to quote. Um, something that he said about going year to year with um, Bergeron's contract. Uh, he said, quote, I think he wants to, and rightfully so, see where he's at at the end of the year. And I'd certainly love to see him continue, but we'll see where it goes. So a lot less confident yeah. sounding in, in that statement than the McAvoy stuff. So, Scott, that makes you nervous. Um, I would say it doesn't really make me any more or less nervous. Because I feel like this is kind of in line with like what Bergeron had already said this offseason when he said he wasn't interested in signing a deal now. He's going to play out through the end of the season. No, but like, the, but I think people were looking for like a change of heart in that way where they didn't get it here. Um, like Obviously, Bergeron was clear about it. Now it's just re- being reiterated in the organization. But people Bruins fans a lot of Bergeron fans would have just liked to hear something a little bit closer to you know we're working on something or anything in that manner but when someone says we'll see where it goes it's like well that's that doesn't sound good especially in with what just happened with David Krejci on the back of your mind, or in the front of your mind, I should say, because it, it's very recent and it kind of had the same feel um, going into it that 
there was just so much uncertainty that can this happen again now with with Bergeron and Krejci, your number one and number two centers from last season? Yeah, I mean that was so when Bergeron had first said this, that was when like I kind of got nervous and was like, oh, like what's going on here? And we brought we brought up with Andrew Raycroft when he was on, and Raycroft was a lot more reassuring and was like, no, I don't think this is Bergeron's last year. I think you'll have a pretty good idea of when that is. But, you know, the fact that he's not committing to... I mean, like, that's just factual. Bergeron is not committing to anything beyond this season. That is a straightforward factual statement. Um, So as long as he's not doing that, yeah, the possibility is open that this could be his last season. Like, he could get... Because Neely also referenced, like, how Bergeron's had some tough injuries and... You know, that makes you think back to, like, his concussion history, but also more recently the groin injury that he's been dealing with for a few years now that he's had to manage. Um, Bergeron did say that that's been in a good place, that he felt good after last season. He felt good all off season going into the season. Um, but, yeah, you, I mean, you could see, like, if that gets worse, then maybe he does decide, like, you know what, like, I've kind of done it all and and i'm playing in pain and maybe you know it's not worth continuing but um you know i would still say that i think it's most likely that this won't be bergeron's last year and i could see this sort of waiting process being more about okay get to the end of the year and you know is it really going to be truly year to year we're like okay now bergeron signs a one-year deal and then we'll revisit again after next year or if he's feeling good at the end of this year, could uh, a two- or three-year deal be on the table at that point? Like, is that something he'd consider then, even though he's not considering that right now? What I get from that is no. Like, we're talking one-year deals till the day he leaves the NHL, I think. Yeah, and if, it, you know, and look, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, if both sides understand that and have that trust in each other, like, neither, ne- obviously neither side is looking to screw over the other, like... Bergeron's not going to get to the end of his deal and be like, you know what, guys, I'm going to go see what I can get in free agency. And by the same time, like, the Bruins aren't going to be like, uh, we're going to go out and uh, get someone else and, you know, see you, Bergie. Like, yeah. thanks for everything. Organizationally, it, it works, like, if, if you guys both understand where the other person's coming from. But from a fan's perspective, it's going to – you're going to have anxiety about it every single year if, if it's a year-to-year thing with him. It's just, that's just – talking from the fans point of view personally you know scott where were you in 2003 uh i was in middle school i was uh eighth grade i was seven years old and bridget you were seven right you said yeah okay so i was eight actually does that even no i was like nine i think i was nine years old when bergeron uh was a rookie okay I'm 28 years old now. So that entire time, not only has he been in the league, but he's been playing an honest 200-foot game. And you don't become the best two-way forward in the, in, in the world, or arguably that, um, without taking your bumps and bruises. And he, for, I mean, the Randy Jones concussion was already like 14 years ago. Um, uh, yeah, 13, 14 years ago, which is crazy to think. Um, and then... You know, the, the Stanley Cup Finals against the Blackhawks in 13. Again, you're talking eight, seven, eight years ago. It's like he had a punctured lung and, and, and all the broken ribs. He's Since then, he's even, he's become even better as a player. And it's, it's almost been a decade. So, like, 
fans just have to understand that as much as we like watching him play, I mean, this guy, has, his body's been through a lot. And more so than the fans rec- recognizing that, ownership needs to recognize that in management. Because if Patrice Bergeron, at the end of the season this year, says that, look, my body's been through enough, I'm going to retire and, and, and enjoy my life with my family, he has every single right to do that, and nobody should say boo about it. But where it becomes an issue is if the Bruins aren't prepared for that. Like, the Bruins weren't prepared for David Krejci. And they, and you could sit there and say, well, they knew Charlie Coyle would be there. Or they had Jack Sanika. Well, Jack Sanika's in Providence right now, and Charlie Coyle <laughs> is coming off his worst season. I understand it was injury bug. So, but my point is the Bruins did not have a surefire plan when Krejci left. And right now they don't have anything if Bergeron decides to leave. So my anxiety, Bridget, comes not so much if Bergeron decides to leave, but because they're not prepared. Look at the Patriots with Tom Brady. You know what I mean? So, like, when you have these these centers... Wait, you mean Cam Newton wasn't a good backup <sighs> plan? No? Cam Stanika. Um, when you have Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci, you're one or two centers for 15 to 18 years. Obviously, Bergeron's been here longer than Krejci. The Bruins, as we speak, are not prepared for when those guys go. And to me, that's an issue. And furthermore, it puts even more emphasis on why they need to... They need to find a way to win a cup this year because next year is not guaranteed if Bergeron decides to leave. So I don't know if that's a segue into what we're going to talk about this podcast, but like the Bergeron stuff to me, my my gut tells me this is not his last year. And to what Scott said, Bergeron's not going anywhere in free agency. He's not going to get traded. The only way he stops playing for the Bruins is if he retires. But I do think that Bergeron has enough respect um, for the organization to let them know, like, you know, which is... I'm kind of surprised it hasn't happened yet internally, but he'll let them know when he really is uh, hanging them up because he he doesn't want them to be sitting there with their, you know, sitting on their thumbs. So I think that uh, time will tell. I'm not too concerned about him not playing next year, though, but you just never know. So in the case that this is Bergeron's last year, let us talk about how his team may fare. So Bridget, Scott, do you guys want to go first with your Atlantic Division breakdowns, or do you have a few more thoughts? But we have... We have all, all night to talk if we want. Um, yeah, so let's dive into the, the Atlantic Division and how we think the Bruins stack up. Uh, I guess for starters, maybe just worth a reminder to people uh, what the Atlantic Division is, who's in it. Um, you know, we're back to normal division. So for the Bruins, that means Toronto, Ottawa, Buffalo, Tampa, Florida, Montreal, and Detroit. Um it's very much like a split division. I think the top four in this division are is the strongest top four of any division in the NHL. And that top four is the Bruins, the Maple Leafs, the Lightning, and the Panthers. Um, but the bottom is also... The, the, the bottom, bottom, I would say, is one of the weakest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, for sure. The disparities there where you kind of know the teams that will make the playoffs without knowing the order because there's such a competitive top end but the because you're going to take all those teams are going to take quite a few games from the bottom half we're talking Sabres, Senators, Red Wings like it's going to be a lopsided division but I'm pretty sure we're all pretty comfortable that we know the four that are coming out of there yeah the Canadians at one point would have seemed like the one team that could kind of ruin that party, uh, especially after making a run all the way to the cup final last year. 
But they lost so much this offseason. Shea Weber's not playing this season. They lost Philip Dano, Thomas Tatar, Corey Perry. Uh, Carey Price has taken a leave of absence. We don't have any information on when he's going to be back. Um, and, Except for that it's going to be longer than a month. Yeah, and really the only notable acquisitions, I would say, were Christian Dvorak and Mike Hoffman. Um, who You know, I like both, but like they're not complete game changers. They're not going to make um, up for what they lost. Worth mentioning, Jonathan Druin is back too. Yeah, I mean, and, and, Cole, and a full season cold coffee. Full like, call, yeah. I mean, I, I actually he's, he's very good. So. I, I actually, I actually like Montreal's forwards. I don't think they're you know the, near the top four groups in the league, but I definitely think that if they had Carey Price and Shea Weber, that they would be a team to not sleep on. I, and you can't sleep on anybody, but I, I really, I actually don't hate. They also got Matthew Pros in the fourth line, Cedric Paquette from from uh, what once was Tampa, and now uh, then he went to o- Ottawa for a year, but he's a Stanley Cup champion. Bruins fans know that he's a um, pain in the ass to play against. So I actually don't I, – I like uh, Montreal's forward group. But they don't crack the top four still. No, they don't, but 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 they're still a team you got to play all year. And, um, yeah, I don't think like, they're going to be basement dwellers. No, not at all. No, no, they're, and, they're the ones that are the, the, the odd man out, the I first mean, one out, the closest to making it, but – Probably not gonna. I guess. I guess my, my only point is like, yeah, Buffalo sucks. The Red Wings, they're rebuilding, but they aren't very good. Um, they, I will say that the Red Wings got better. Yeah, though. they did. Like, the, yeah. they made some nice additions. They got. This, they, this they got better, and I guess all I'm saying is like, and I think Ottawa, like, I think they're on a, on a on a good trajectory too. They have some good young players as well, and so all I'm saying is that the Atlantic Division is not the um, the Pacific where it's like Vegas and then. Edmonton on a technicality, and then you're talking like the Kraken that could get in there. So like, like the the Atlantic Division, like it's it's top heavy, but those those five and six teams aren't that bad either. And I would say actually say Montreal is decent. Um, but so Scott, just continue your breakdown for for your opinion. Yeah. So then you know, so you're looking at that top four, and where do the Bruins slot in? And you know, I think those four are all bunched fairly close together. Obviously the well, actually, maybe I shouldn't say obviously. So I was going to say, obviously, the Lightning will be the most popular pick, but I don't know if you guys saw ESPN's... Uh, yeah, I saw them. Their expert predictions. Ten of their 22 picked the Panthers to win the division, mm. which I don't hate because I, I feel like I was... I thought I, like, I was like higher on the Panthers than maybe a lot of people. And then you see something like that, and it's like, oh, okay, maybe a lot more people than I thought realized they were a really good team. And... I guess they're not so under the radar after all. Um, but, yeah, I would still say until, until like, the Lightning struggle or someone shows that they're ready to pass them, I'm going to say they're the favorite. They're the team that everyone's gunning for, the two-time champions. Um, but definitely not out of the question that they could take a step back or, you know, get off to a slow start or whatever because they lost their entire third line from those two cup teams in – Blake Coleman, Yanni Gordon, and Barkley Goodrow. They also lost Tyler Johnson, who, you know, has taken the step back a little bit. He's been more of a fourth-line player. But he would have been, like, the obvious choice to move up to that third line with those other guys leaving. And they couldn't keep him either for salary cap reasons. Um, obviously, they're still loaded at the top of their lineup. They still have Stamkos, Point, uh, Kucherov, Hedman on defense, Sergachev, McDonough, like, Vasilevsky in goal. Still still an awesome team, but a little more vulnerable than they've been. And you also wonder, like, you know, could there be, like, a little bit of a Stanley Cup hangover where they kind of 
a take double, a while to a get double going. hangover. Right, yeah. and, and he, even last year, like they were kind of slow and you know slumping yeah. at points. Like, yeah, and let's let's just bring up the fact because these aren't what I put in as my like regular season standings. Like how people will finish is not it's not the order of teams that I think are best, right? So, like, it's not who the team that I think is the best in the division. It's who I think will have a strong regular season. Then playoffs, we're talking a whole new story. Mm-hmm. So, I personally think that there's a, there's a chance the Maple Leafs finish first in the division. And not that they're the best team in the division, but they tend to do very well in the regular season. And they have the offensive talent to do that. Um, but then, obviously, they struggle in the playoffs. So I think the way that my division pans out, we're talking a close uh, race between the Lightning and the Maple Leafs, and then either the Bruins or the Panthers after that. It'll be whether or not the Bruins can uh, get that third spot or if they're going to end up uh, as the wild card uh, in the division. But I think that... More than likely, it'll be the Lightning and the Maple Leafs fighting for the top spot in the division for the regular season. And you mentioned, Scott, they could have a slow start. Yeah, sometimes that's enough to make it so you're not that number one team. Um, and obviously, we all know that the percentage, the percent chance of somebody three-peating is really not that good. Has not happened since the 1980s, since so. the Islanders won four in a row. Uh, no, it hasn't, and I don't think it'll happen again. Um, they actually, yeah, they said they won four in a row, right? So, um, well, look, Bridget, I like I like what you said about the final division standings not reflecting who you think is the best team because I'm in the same boat. I, you know, um, I have Toronto winning the, the division because again, you have to. Well, I'll get to oh, so let me let me back up. I think Tampa is going to have um, their their regular season struggles because last year. You know, when you win a Stanley Cup, part of the part of the taxing part of um, trying to repeat is playing a full regular season against you know thirty teams that want to take that you know they want to give you their best game, right? Well, last year Tampa only had to play whatever seven teams, and there's a lot of teams in the league right now that are going to get a chance to play Tampa twice that haven't played them since they won two cups. Think about that. Well, okay, so the Bruins got eliminated by them two years ago. But a lot of teams have not played Tampa since Tampa's won two cups. So I just think that they're going to get everybody's best. I think that they have a um, totally new bottom six. Well, the fourth line still has some pieces, but that third line is totally brand new. Um, We'll see if Kucherov, how he plays in in the regular season (laughs) after taking last year off. Um, No, I I think that Tampa's played a lot of hockey. I think that they're also very... Um, disciplined, and they, they, they know how to pick and choose their battles. They know it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I think that um, Tampa will for sure be in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going to finish first in the division. I think Toronto's going to finish first because they have a roster that when a team only sees them once or twice a year, they get lit up by them. Right, like Austin Matthews, if you're, if you're, if you're the... Um, you know, Phoenix Coyotes and you're playing the Maple Leafs, like, you know, Matthew's going to put up four, like four points because you don't see him very often. But when they go to the playoffs and they can get matched up against and teams can kind of, you know, break them down and, and, and pick apart what they what their weaknesses are, they struggle. But for the regular season, I mean, you have Matthews, you have Marner, you have Riley, you have Tavares. Um, I mean, 
Uh, Nick Ritchie, Andre Kasha. Um, <laughs> so you and I are in agreement on I, I, the Toronto. I think, I think Toronto. I think Toronto wins the regular season race, which is good for them because it's going to make them avoid, um, in theory, the Bruins or the Lightning uh, in the first round. I like Florida as my second spot. Um, I think I think they're being a little bit overrated by the professional analysts, like you mentioned, Scott on ESPN, um, but. Florida's just not they're in that time of their uh franchise right now with Barkov and Huberdo. Like they're in their primes. Um they added Sam Reinhardt, you got Sandpaper and Joe Thornton. Um then you get then they just have some guys that, that come to play every single night. Um what's the guy's name? He always fights against Tampa. Um whatever. He's like a grinder, but they have Sam Bennett, he's the kid plays hard, um Hornquist. Carter Verhage really broke out Verhage. for them but do you know, last year. Do you know who the guy I'm talking about is in Florida? I'm looking at their lineup. So I don't see him in their top 12 forwards, but he's got like the long black hair. He's always like fighting with them since last year's playoffs. Regardless, um, they're a good team. You got Aaron Eckblad back there, Mackenzie Wegar, um, Spencer Knight, and uh, Bobrovsky in goal. So that, that, that's what worries me, though, is, is their goaltending. Because last year, Chris Dreiger was really their best goalie. And then they lost him to Seattle in the expansion draft. Bobrovsky has fallen off a cliff since he got there, since he yeah. signed that massive contract. And it looks like he's going to be their opening night starter. You know, I assume there'll be some sort of rotation there. It's Spencer Knight is very talented, you know, having watched him at BC. Mm-hmm. Um, also very inexperienced and unproven at this level. You know, he got, I think, like literally a handful of games, like maybe four or five games last year. And kind of struggled. Like, it didn't really light the world on fire. So, you know, it's it, it's kind of tempting to, like, compare that to the Bruins goalie situation. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, Allmark isn't the proven veteran that Bobrovsky is, but has was better than Bobrovsky last year. And Swayman, while also inexperienced, still got more time than Spencer Knight last year and played better in it. You know, was excellent. Yeah. Um, so I would have questions about about Florida's goaltending, and that's maybe... So, you know, to share my standings, I have Florida fourth, and that's the biggest reason for it, because they're, so the, they're the team that I, I'm just least sure of goaltending-wise, and I think that might hurt them um, if Bobrovsky doesn't have some sort of bounce-back season. Um, I, I have Tampa finishing first, you know, even though, even with everything we've already laid out, and even with the knowledge that these two cup runs, they've done it not coming from first place. Uh, 2020, they had finished behind the Bruins before the mm-hmm. before the pause. And last year, they finished behind uh, Carolina. And, and Florida, were they the road team in the first round? They might have been third in that division last year. They were at least second. But anyways, they weren't first. Um, you know, so I, I understand that, yes, they've obviously shown they can pace themselves, but... Um, I just, like I said, I think they're the best team here until someone shows otherwise. And I don't think they're just going to like take, you know, the regular season off or long stretches of it. Um, and I just see them finishing first Toronto, Toronto. I wonder about, like, I still have questions about their defense and I wonder if this is just going to be something emotionally, mentally there where like last season was even so much more of a disaster than their losses to the Bruins in the playoffs because that was the year. Like, that was the year they were supposed to... They are basically they're supposed to be a lock to get to the Final Four. They are supposed to dominate the Canadian division. They did in the regular season. 
They get up 3-1 in Montreal and choke worse than they've choked before. That was worse than 2013 because it was protracted over three games. And better players. Yeah, better players against a worse team than the 2013 Bruins. Mm -hmm. Um, Like... That is just so much overcome, and I wonder if that lingers, and I wonder if I don't like, know if Scott, there's if a that block lingers. that they have to overcome at some point this year because, I mean, that was brutal, and like I, th- I think the the pressure and I think the disappointment and like the anger of that fan base is higher than it's been at any point, and they're gonna like see and hear more of that now because like now you can go out now there is more interaction, fans are in the building and. I just feel like there's just going to be a lot of, I don't know, tension, like, everyone just high-strung in Toronto this year. But I, so, I tend to disagree just for one reason, and I think that one of the flaws that Toronto has when they're in the playoffs is they have, like, this certain invincibility that, that they think they have, so, like, I mean, when you're young and you're a great player, a great athlete, you're Austin Matthews. You are you kind of just get it in your head like I'm somewhat invincible, and sometimes when you get into the playoffs, you just expect things to to come naturally, and they don't, and you have to find a different gear and you have to work harder. And so the reason why they they've been successful in the regular season is because of this this confidence, this cockiness among some of their younger players, their their more talented players. But then that's not necessarily the recipe to win in the postseason. So I don't think that they have this like hangover effect of, and I I obviously understand that the Toronto media and the Toronto fans are not easy on them, and they're the only team in town, right? It's not New England. They don't have. There's no deflecting to the Patriots or the Celtics or the Red Sox. So they're going to have strong scrutiny. But I just don't think the personalities uh, are too affected by that because they have such confidence in themselves. Uh, that's just my opinion on it and like I said that that works for the regular season and it's one of the reasons I think that postseason they haven't had you know they haven't had their best showings and they haven't been as disciplined they just kind of think they're playing with house money a little bit when they they need to be on their toes a little bit more I also think Toronto kind of like most of the top teams across the league uh, I think they got slightly worse they lost Zach Hyman who Yes is not Matthews, Tavares, Marner, obviously, um, but is a good player and has played on one of their top two lines for years and has been, you know, an important two-way piece to those lines. Um, You know, look, got overpaid by the Oilers for sure, but still a player that the Leafs are basically trying to replace with Nick Ritchie, and that's... And how do you think that's going to go? Yeah, Nick Ritchie didn't work on the Bruins' third line, and they're putting him... On their top line to start. Well, which... to, to be fair, in Anaheim, he played on their top line with Getzlaff and Raquel. Or no, it was actually it was Kasha and Raquel, which may not have been the top line. But when he plays with better players, he plays better. You stick him on a third line with Jake DeBrusque, and he's not going to do anything. But he's a t- well, completely but... different style of player than Zach Hyman. I mean, yeah, yet... no, I'm, I'm not saying they're yeah. the same player. I'm just saying, like, you know, yet his 15 goals last year were still his career high. So, yeah, like, who... what's what's the ceiling really? Yeah, and most of them came on the power play. Granted, but they also came when he was surrounded by really good players. He was not going to succeed as a third liner. No, which, I agree with that. Which, you know, his skill set is a third liner, so that's kind of his problem, not no, nobody else's. Um, look, I, I think I think Toronto would have beaten the Canadians if there were fans in the stands. I think that Canada's 
that Canadian division was so boring last year and so desolate. I, if you're a Maple Leafs fan, you act like that never even happened because nobody was there to see it. It's, I think it's a bad memory. It was a dream. Oh, I think they remember. They yeah, do. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't <laughs> think that's the approach they're taking. I'm just, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm telling you, I think that people are going to be excited with, with going back to the arenas, and I think that, yeah. I, I, feel like that's a, I feel like that's a team where, like, getting, you know, obviously every team wants to get off to a good start. But I almost feel like for them, it's even more important because like they've got to give their fans like something to get excited about and feel positive about early I, on. I mean, honestly, like I, I can I can see Austin Matthews scoring fifty five plus goals this year, no problem. I can see Mitch Marner scoring one hundred twenty points. Like I, I just think that in the regular season, they will they will do well. Um, I think that. Like I said, I think Florida is going to – I think they're going to finish second. I think that Tampa will finish third. Um, but, you know, when the playoffs start, they're the favorite to win the Cup. I'm, I'm just yeah. – I'm not yeah. talking about who's better. I'm just saying, like, for different reasons. And I have the Bruins finishing in the wild card. Now, I will say, um, I was telling Bridget before the podcast, like, I think – my phone – I got to turn my phone off. I'm sorry about that. But uh, the, um, the Atlantic Division's top four teams, I could make a case for – all four of them winning the division, and I can make a case for all four of them landing in the wild card spot. I truly don't know. I think they're all going to finish with 100 plus points, and I think they're all going to be sandwiched together between two pieces of wheat bread uh, that close in the standings. But I think that the Bruins have um, Jesus Christ. Almighty. I thought you turned the volume <laughs> I thought, off. I thought I did. did your girlfriend I, piss you? No, no, it's it's just ridiculous. Um, I remember the first time I used technology. <laughs> God. And what's what's worse is that you, it probably doesn't even come across in the podcast. So people just think I'm spazzing out about nothing. Um, how was I saying? Uh, yeah, so I think the Bruins finished fourth because, look, I, my biggest concern with the Bruins is not their top six, despite not having Krejci. That just go <laughs> oh, off you know, again? You, know, you know what it is? It's, 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 it's going through my laptop, too. So I got to turn. <laughs> <laughs> Brian almost just dropped his laptop on the floor. This is Shit's going off the I rails thought I here. was going to be the one who was off the oh rails. My God. And you thought I needed to slow down at the oh game my the other gosh. night. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm all over the map. So, yes, the Bruins questions for me. Their top six, even without Krejci, I'm not worried about them. That fourth line to me, I still got to see it. The third line, I think they'll be fine. But for me, it's not in goal that I question. It's the blue line. And when they inevitably get banged up back there, I, I think the Bruins will have their struggles not enough for them not to surpass 100 points in the standings. I just think that this division's so tight. If I have to choose a team to finish fourth, I'll say it's the Bruins because of, they've had a lot of turnover. But I think that I don't want them finishing second or third because I think that could be a matchup with Tampa. So, um, you know, I would like to see the Panthers and the Lightning go at it again. They get one of the best rivalries going in the league. That, just in, in the preseason alone, there was like line brawls. Yeah, no, I know. It's great. It's great. Let let those two go at it. Let them I claw mean, at each other. Let, wh- let, let, let let Toronto try and break their curse against uh, a Metro wildcard team. And then let the Bruins play um, You know the, the, the Metro winner, which I would probably like their chances against them better than I would against uh, Tampa or maybe even Florida, honestly. I, and I, I think just quickly we should go through what we think on the, the Metro side um, because that obviously ends up affecting the Bruins um, in the playoffs. But... Then we'll get into, Scott, some of the things we want to talk about, uh, some of the questions you sent to us this week. Uh, who's going like, to uh, impress you more than, you know, he, he, who's going to outperform what you think? Who's going to be the person that is the question mark? Um, and what kind of moves do you think that the Bruins will have to make at the tra- trade deadline? We'll get to that in a second. Just quickly, my thoughts on the Metro. 
I think the Islanders are the best team in the Metro. I think they finish first. Um, Scott and I disagree about where the Hurricanes should finish. I I personally like the Hurricanes, um, and I think they have identity, and I think that they um, I think that they could finish in the top end of their conference uh, in their division. I mean, so I think the Hurricanes for me is second, Caps third, Penguins fourth, and Penguins I put there because of their goaltending situation. Uh, it has not improved. They have Tristan Jari for $3.5 million towards the cap. And they, I don't think you can really trust them all that much. And that their second option is Casey DeSmith. So because of their goaltending situation and the health for Malkin and Crosby has not been where it needs to be for them to finish in the top, in, in the top two uh, in, in their division. No, but... Th- some uh, Pittsburgh has injuries every year, and usually one of them is a long one to Malkin, and they're getting that out of the way to start. He's out probably the first two months of the season. Uh, and yet, Pittsburgh always finds a way to be there. Remember, last year they won the East Division. They finished first in the East Division, in the Bruins Division. They were the number one seed there. The Islanders were the four seed. So, again, coming back to, you know, what happens in the regular season isn't the same as who's built the best for the playoffs, but... The Penguins find ways to win games. They overcome their injuries. Like, none of it seems to matter. They get their points. But you you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, their goaltending is, is a very, uh, you well, know, it, it's not a solid situation back there. No, I don't trust it at all. Just to play devil's advocate, I would point out that last year in the playoffs, they did not have DeSmith as an option. He was injured, so they had to just stick with Jerry. And also, they signed Philip Lindbergh, national champion out of UMass. Uh, who Go UMass. is, you know, not ready yet. He's going to start the season in the AHL. But I would not rule out him making an impact at some point this season because, quite frankly, I think he's really good. Um, and I think young goalies can, as we've seen with Swayman, can make an impact fairly quickly. So I wouldn't rule out him being... So where do you have Pittsburgh, then? Uh, second or third. I have them in that... Staying in the Metro, not being a wild card. Um, I would pick the Islanders to finish first, even while noting that, again, they're a team that tends to make their playoff runs without being a high seed. And I guess this is where I kind of got caught up in the Metro, and I treated it a little bit different than I than I treated the Atlantic, which was that I put the team that I think is best first, right? Yeah, even which, though which is what I'm going to do, too. I'm going to put the Islanders first because I think they're the best team. Yes. But just pointing out that last year they... Got to the Final Four while being the number four seed in their division. The year before, they got to the Final Four while being the number seven seed in the East. So they've done it from finishing lower during the regular season. Um, I still think the Capitals... I'm seeing a Penguins-Capitals first-round matchup um, in that 2-3 matchup in in the Metro. I love Uh, that. I love that matchup in the playoffs. Yeah. And I have the Hurricanes fourth there and being the lowest of the two wildcard seeds. I think the Hurricanes took a sizable step back this offseason. I really did not like what they did. I think they went cheap, quite frankly. Uh, I think it's a shame because I think they were building a team that was on the path to being a cup contender and was challenging some of the best teams in the league, but they they let Dougie Hamilton walk when they had the money to re-sign him, and they gave up on two promising young goalies for reasons I 
still don't understand, other than they just didn't want to pay them, I guess. Uh, they dumped both Alex Nadelkovich and Peter Morazic. Um, yeah, you're right. That was... I like both of them, especially Nadelkovich, who I think is one of the most promising and young I, goalies in the league. I honestly thought they were high on Nadelkovich. Yeah, but like I said, for whatever reason, it looks like they just cheaped out. And they knew that Nadelkovich was going to get paid, and they decided they didn't want to pay it. So they downgraded their goaltending. Now they have Antti Ranta and, and Frederick Anderson, who have both had some good stretches in the league, but are not are not goalies I would feel all that comfortable going into a season with if I'm expecting to be any sort of contender. Brian, are you in trouble or just popular? What do you mean? <laughs> you just keep oh, no, no, you no, and your text no. right now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm I'm all rattled. Um, I, I like you guys as Metro picks. I just uh, I like the Islanders, the Capitals, the uh, Penguins. Um, but I don't. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the Hurricanes either. Actually, um, you know I think they've been overachieving for a few years, and I think they've been getting by on some you know some good defense. I definitely think they're a good team, but they have a lot of potential with their forwards. Like yeah, they their do. young forwards have have a chance to to take another step step forward in their career for sure. But a team that I like their forwards a little bit better, and their defense is getting pretty close to Carolina's. Not you know surpassing is the Rangers. Um, I think the Rangers have a very good uh, offense. You have Panarin, Zibanejad, um, Kako. Lafreniere, um, Chris Kreider, Ryan Strom. Uh, I really like the Sammy Blay edition from St. Louis. On the back end, you know, you have the Rain Norris winner and um, Adam Fox. Ryan Lindgren, we've seen him enough now over the last few years. He's a very good NHL defenseman as far as, you know, being a pain in the ass to play against. Keandre Miller, Jacob Truba. Like, they have some players. Um, and I just think that, you know, it was kind of a shit show last year, with, or maybe it was the year before with the Rangers, how they treated the... Um, no, it was last year. It was last year, and they uh, have some organizational yeah. issues that I don't think have been resolved oh, um, and will not be resolved. I also like the uh, the addition of um, Barclay Goudreau uh, on their, in their bottom six, and like, I just... I, See, I, I don't, because I, I think they... Oh, Scott doesn't uh, like Stanley Cup winners. Not not for that price and not given... Yeah, but, that's, but it's not... Hurt. I think that they could have better spent that money, uh, especially when, you know, they dish it out to get Barclay Goodrow, who's a career third-slash-fourth-liner, uh, and end up trading away Pavel Buchnevich, who is a great all-around winger. Yeah. I am a huge fan of Buchnevich. Yeah. And, yeah, he he's and they solid. dump him, and I'm like, I yeah. I, I did not like the Rangers off season. They I think they totally overreacted to Tom Wilson's shenanigans and thought that like that's that speaks- their biggest issue was that they're not tough enough. So they went they swung way too far the other way. In my this opinion. this speaks back to the organizational issues, right? So they were butthurt, for lack of a better word, about that, and they came out with a statement. They got backlash for it, like. I think that that was something they dwelled on, and especially because of the criticism, we're like, we're not going to let this happen again. And it was just kind of a point of pride, and it kind of blurred their their you know good judgment in a way. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, like I said, they have some issues. I think I think you two are. Um, I think you guys are definitely wrong about about the Rangers. I'm not saying that the Goudreau deal is good three four years from now, but right now. Bruchnevich, look, good player. Yeah, I, I, he's not. He's not the end of the world. I, I really. I'm looking at their forward group and their so top four defense. So you have them fifth. I have. I have them as a wild card team. You um, have them as a, then. 
I got, Did you give your full list to us yet? I I mean, the Atlantic I have Toronto, Florida, Tampa, Boston. The Metro I have the Islanders, the Capitals, the Penguins, and then the Rangers. I I mean I like the Hurricanes. Yeah, like I said yeah. so I, you, I, you I, don't I, want I, the Hurricanes in there at all. It's not that they don't, no, they they very well could, but there's look, it's it's there's 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 two or three teams that I think are going to be right there. It's 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 the Rangers, it's the Hurricanes. And I think the Flyers will have a bounce back year, though I don't think that they'll be good enough to make the playoffs. But I mean, like even like, like Kevin Rooney's a good fourth line player. Uh, is it Philip Heidel? Is that how you say his last name? Heidel. Heidel. Like he's a really good young player as a third line center. Like they have, and their their high end talent is is up there with some of the best in the league. So I just think that you guys are kind of like missing the boat on them a little bit. I, I I'm sour on their organization for sure, and I don't like the Goudreau deal long-term. But if we're talking this year, I mean, I could absolutely see them being a wild-card team. They have, I mean, they have, I mean, I mean, Zibanejad and and um, Panarin and Fox, I mean, right there, you're talking three of the top 20, 30 players in the league. I mean, and, and then you have some players that aren't too far behind. Like, I think they, I like the Blade move. I think he's a, I think he's a harder player to play against game in and game out than someone like Buchnevich. He's not going to score as much as him, but, but it's not always about you know, having the, the highest scores is about having a better makeup as a team, and I like their full group. And you know, if Lafreniere or Kako can take those next steps, I mean, they're yeah, two f- I mean, first overall and second overall picks. Yeah, Lafreniere in particular is a giant X factor because he struggled a lot of last season as a rookie and started to play better down the stretch, like started to figure it out. So yeah, if he takes a step, then then yeah, then you're you're not going to miss miss Bucinavich. Um I guess I would say. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Rangers make the playoffs, but for me, that's more that I am down on the other teams I'd be competing for yeah. that eighth spot. And we'll, and I'm we'll, down on the Hurricanes. I'm down on the Canadians. Yeah. So, like the Rangers beating them out wouldn't surprise I me mean, at all. Yeah. But it's not. It's not because I'm high on the. Rangers. I mean, I'm, I'm calling. I'm calling them like a 97 point wildcard team. You know, I'm not saying they're winning a cup, but I, I think that they can be the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. And and we'll yeah. get we'll. I don't want to spend too much time on this because no, we did yeah. have a few other things to get to, but we'll be able to come back around to this trade deadline time and then pre pre playoff episode. Right. Um, so we'll we'll have to come back and listen to this and, and just like reassess yeah, and just it, it, be it, like, it, are we? Was I being stupid about something? It'll be and look, I, I'm I'm fairly confident that you know seven at least seven of the eight teams that all three of us pick will, will be in the playoffs. It's pretty, it's kind of obvious, but like the difference is like, like the Rangers, I see them become, being a wild card team. Um, but I don't see them going on a run. The Bruins, I see as a wild card team, but the Bruins, like, but I, but, but, but then when the playoffs come, they, they can go to the final four. No question. Especially with some unforeseen, um, moves that happen later in the year. But you talk about the Bruins, they're a perfect example. I think the Bruins are a better playoff team. I think they'll go farther in the playoffs than someone like the Florida Panthers, who I have, Ahead of them in the division. Same with Toronto, um, but again, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I just look at the Bruins, and I think they're gonna have their challenges. But at the end of the day, though, you have Marshan, Bergeron, Pashnak, McAvoy. You have four of the top twenty-five players, in my opinion, in the NHL on your team, and you have Taylor Hall. And you are always—they're always top ten in special teams. They're gonna be probably top ten in scoring, top twelve in scoring. Defensively, they might take a small step back for one reason or another. Um, but. That that division is just really really tough up top, and I think that Florida will have their day this year in the regular season. I don't think it'll last throughout the playoffs, though. Yeah, and there's also something to be said for having experience winning playoff series, which 
you know, look, obviously Bruins fans aren't satisfied with getting to the second round. That's not good enough. But they've gotten out of the first round four years in a row. Four years in a row they've won a playoff series. And, you know, there's something to be said for that when you're talking about teams like Toronto that haven't been able to do that. Florida has not been able to do that. I I don't think Florida's won a playoff series with this core yet. They haven't won uh, a playoff series, I don't think, since their 96 Cup run. Yeah. So, like, there's something to be said for that, too, for, like, just knowing how to win a seven-game series. And the Bruins certainly have enough guys who yeah. know how to do that. Um, is there – so maybe this is obvious with Tampa, but is there a path that the we want to see the Bruins avoid? Is, you know, is there – like, is there something that could align that that would worry you, whether it's staying in the division or crossing over to the Metro, like yeah. if they have to face the Islanders in the first round? Well, so this is, and I think, you know, people may listen to me saying the Bruins are going to finish the wild card and get mad at me, but I'm actually saying that selfishly because I want the Bruins to have a better path. And so, um, like, I think that the the last place I want the Bruins to finish is third in the division. I don't want them finishing third enough to have to play on the road against probably Tampa, um, who could easily finish as a two seed, obviously. Um, but so in your scenario, Bruins, uh, Bruins in the wild card play the Maple Leafs, and that's well, your it, series. It's tough to predict that because are the Bruins the first? Are the Maple Leafs the first? Because I think that's an easy path for the Bruins. No, it, it, truthfully, it, that's a that's a yeah, it is a favorable path. It is. I mean, I, I, I would with these teams we're talking. You know, the two teams I want the Bruins to avoid in the first round, obviously it's going to be kind of obvious, but is Tampa Bay and, and the Islanders. I like the Bruins against Toronto, Florida, Pittsburgh, Washington, um, Hurricanes, Rangers, Flyers, you name it. Um, the only two teams I'm trepidatious about would be playing Tampa. Oh, well, the there Islanders we go. The trepidatious. Fr- <laughs> wow. Is that what you were looking up? Thank you very much. Language of origin, please. Um, and even, honestly, even Tampa, if the Bruins played Tampa in the first round, but had home ice, depending on certain trade deadline acquisitions or whatnot, like, I might not hate that either, because it's like, well, is Tampa really going to win three in a row? Um, and they've never played Tampa with home ice. I, I think maybe the bubble, but that doesn't count. So, uh, I would say I don't want to play the Islanders, if I had to pick one team. But in the division, obviously I don't want to play Tampa. Yeah, I think it, it ultimately comes back to Tampa, just because... You know, they're, they're the ones that have done it. They're the ones who have knocked the Bruins out twice. Uh, you know, Islanders did it once for sure. Um, I think you don't want to face either of them. Like, if, if yeah, you can pull the Maple gonna, Leafs, I mean, starting then... in the second round, you're going to have to most likely be facing one of them. So, right, um, there's a chance you don't. Well, that would be the best case scenario. Well, we don't need. To, I mean, it happened in 2019, and the Bruins ran into a. A, t- a team in St. Louis that they hadn't really faced a team like that yet, and ultimately it could be why they lost because they kind of caked walked through Carolina. Columbus was a tougher matchup, and obviously Toronto brought you to seven. But there's nothing. Look, if you're gonna win the Stanley Cup, you got to go through these teams. But I think you're more so asking like the first round path, right? Yeah. That you want to avoid. And, and and as far as Tampa goes, again, I personally don't really think the Bruins got better this offseason. I think they took at least a half a step back. Yeah. I think, you know, the Lightning took maybe at least a full step back, maybe more. Like, I I think even with the Bruins not getting uh, much better, if better at all, I think that gap closed just because of what Tampa lost. And particularly I look at the the depth forwards where 
two years ago, like that was really what swung that series for Tampa was their trade deadline acquisitions of Coleman and Goodrow hit and gave them the forward depth that they needed. And the Bruins deadline acquisitions of Richie and Kasha did not hit and they didn't have the depth to keep up. And now I look at it and it's like, that's the area that the Bruins targeted this offseason. They didn't prioritize, you know, a clear number two center. They didn't go out of their way to get a clear top four defenseman. They prioritized their third and fourth lines and improving those with veterans that they feel are going to provide a lot more certainty than they've had on their third and fourth lines. And that if it works out that way, if DeBrusque does bounce back and Hall and Felino and Noshek play well, and eventually you figure out your fourth line, uh, whatever that ends up looking like. And obviously this, the Stanika wildcard, we'll see where he ends up later in the season. Um, that could be a strength over Tampa where that has been a major weakness in that matchup in the past. I think it's a strength right, right out of the gate right now. I mean, obviously like last night against Pittsburgh was like, you know, Tampa was wearing no makeup, right? Like it was like the worst you'd ever see them at. Um, they're, they're, they they had a, a massive dud. They uh, they were all hyped about the banner raising and didn't want to move their feet during the game. But, you know, you look at their, their personnel in the bottom six, and, you know, Pat Maroon was, like, their best player. So, like, that's not really saying much. Like, it's a big drop-off. Um, but for for the, for the Tampa, though, you have Andre Vasilevsky. And, and, again, when we do these division you know, rankings, like, I think I speak for all three of us when, like, it, we're just kind of thrown out a wall because any one of these teams can finish in the top four. Yeah. We, we, it's, we have to pick someone to finish in a certain position. But, like, I said that Tampa would finish third because of a few reasons, but, like, Vasilevsky alone can bring him to the to first place because he's so hard to score against, yeah. and their defense is really good. And, um, obviously, their, their top-end talent is, some of the, is probably some of the best in the league, um, for sure. So, like... It's it's gonna be, but as far as like going back uh, to, to to twenty, Scott, like again, it's 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 a moot point now. It doesn't matter. But like that Bruins team and and Tampa, they they had such. You talk about Tampa and Florida in the preseason, Bridget. Like the Bruins and Tampa had such a good rivalry going, um, heading into the spring of of, of twenty twenty, right before COVID happened, and they were on a collision course for the playoffs. And um, you know, we finally got that, but. What would that series have been like if it was in an alternate universe? In an alternate where a, there wasn't well, a pandemic. No, it wasn't an alternate universe. <laughs> no, no, it, <laughs> it, it happened in the real universe. We where, were we were in the bad yeah, side of the alternate. Right, right. We universe. were in the upside down. Yeah, you know, Stranger Things. But they ended up playing in the bubble. But if that game was played in the garden in front of fans, and that game was played down in Tampa in front of fans, like that series would have been so much fun. But the the point still stands that the Bruins lacked what Tampa had, and that was that bottom six depth. And the Bruins have it now, but. Again, I just I I'm so nervous about when the Bruins when the injury bug hits the Bruins blue line this year. It's going to be tough, and I really wish they got Suter. I said at the time, it's like you have Bergeron. Yeah, you made a good case for him. That would well, that would have been a good people, move. People people tell me it's like, well, you know, they're gonna he's gonna sign for like four years and five million somewhere, whatever. It's like, look, first of all, he ended up not. Um, he signed for like what, two and three or three and three, whatever it was. But yeah, I think it was three years. And we'll see him on Saturday with Dallas. But I'm sitting there. It's like. How can anybody sit there and tell me that Ryan's... Who cares if his contract is bad in two years? Because in two years, if Bergeron's not here, it's all for nothing anyway. Like, I wanted him for right for right this season because, like, they have to go for it all. Um, we'll, we'll talk about needs later. Yeah, line, like, but just, like, 
you know, maybe this helps us transition. To I was going to say that. I was like, but, wait, this is a perfect transition yeah, into like, like, what? Who would, you, who would you rather have next to Charlie McAvoy on a nightly basis? Ryan Suter or Derek Forbor? Like, <laughs> mm, I, I mean, the salary cap police will sit there and tell me, oh, no, that's going to be a bad contract. Okay, well, he's not what he used to be. Let me tell you something. Ryan Suter is still an 18-minute guy, and he hasn't forgotten how to play hockey. Even I mean, more than 18 minutes. I just think he's still, you know, 20 to 22 minutes. Like, I, I think he can still be solid like, with that much time. And, you know, I, I was really hoping to be proven wrong during the preseason and at least see what the Bruins see in Derek Forber to to put him on the top pair. I, I watch him perfectly fine, third-line guy like, we, like we've talked about. Um, it's not enough. And and that's mm-hmm. the, the Bruins' defense isn't even close to being good enough right now and they're healthy. Like, McAvoy, obviously, we've talked about this before. He He's an absolute star. Carlo's really good at what he does. So is Grizzlick. But, like, you're putting a lot of faith in a healthy lineup with um, Clifton, Riley, and Forbert. One of the questions Scott had for us, we're going to be posting an article um, with, you know, more answers. But uh, this one's really kind of something interesting to think about. What kind of conversation will we be having come the trade deadline Basically, I assume what you mean by that is, what are the needs going to be? Defensemen. (laughs) Defensemen. And probably, if the fourth line doesn't go as planned, you're looking for another fourth line guy. And that would be my prediction. Yeah, I think defense is the obvious one. Because, to Brian's point, they're going to get banged up at some point. Which means you're going to be plugging in Jakob Zaborl or John Moore or both. And, you know, how does that go? Like, I think Zaboral's gotten better since last season. Like, I think he has taken a step forward, but not a significant one. I mean, not to the point where, like, I think you'd be comfortable with him playing every night. And John Moore, I thought, looked pretty good in preseason. Um, The Bruins have – so the Bruins put Moore on waivers. He cleared. But they've kept him around, at least to this point. He was on their – he's on their initial opening night roster. Um but, you know, he's limited, too. Like, there's only so much. Like, he can be solid if you have to plug him in for a few games here and there. But, you again, to same idea, like, you wouldn't want to be going with him for any prolonged period of time. And I know you weren't high on this particular player parts of the season, Scott. And we had some critical pieces that we put up on the website. But Jeremy Lozon was someone that was a top six defenseman for them and he obviously got taken in the expansion draft and now plays for the Kraken so um I and just another reason to think that there's going to be a need for a defenseman at the trade deadline he played well last night too for Seattle yeah and the reason they chose him is because of his potential right he's 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 an aggressive young defenseman yeah I mean my take was that my take this offseason was that I think forward for Lozon is basically like a lateral move. Like, that's kind of an even swap. So, you know, like, I'm not going to be lamenting the loss of Jeremy Lozon. I didn't like, think you would. No, like, I, I think, you know, forward's fine just as a replacement for that. But what what's, what bothered me both this offseason and, and continues to bother me is that they had money to upgrade and they didn't. They basically ran back the same group and... Obviously, from their perspective, they thought or maybe still think that Forbort is an upgrade over Lozon because I don't think they were looking. I, I don't think their plan was to make a lateral move there. I think they thought they were getting better. Um, 
I just think it was a misjudgment if that if that's the case. Like, uh, you know, if, look the the idea that they have with putting Forbert and McAvoy together is that Forbert is basically going to be a security blanket. He's going to be, you know, I think they hope like a little bit more mobile version of what Chara was when he played with McAvoy, which is like he'll be the defensive blanket who gives McAvoy freedom to get forward, to get more involved in, in the offense, um, you know, who can stop the rush coming back the other way. Um, and I think he might be fine with that, but I think what that ignores is the uh, significant downgrade you get offensively and in transition with Forbort because he's just he's not a great skater and he's not particularly active or effective in the offensive zone. And I, I pointed this out in the preseason. Like, last year when you would have Grizzly and McAvoy out there with the top line, it would be like, a true five-man unit in the offensive zone where it's like everyone's cycling, rotate, like anyone could be anywhere in the offensive zone at any given time because they're just all moving around. There's like this chemistry of just knowing how to play off each other. And then I I get that it's only been a couple of games with four, but it's like I don't expect him to have that chemistry yet no matter what. But you see like how he would play in the offensive zone in the preseason and it's basically just your traditional like stand at the left point and – you know, keep pucks in if they come around or get it, make a quick pass off to someone, you know, if someone moves it back to the love point. But there's very little mobility there. Yeah, I agree with everything you guys said. I mean, honestly, they it's they they need they need it they need it now and they're gonna need it in four months from now, five months from now. They need another top four defenseman, a true top four defenseman. They don't have it. They, I mean like they have I mean I mean, you could say Grizzlick's a top four defenseman, but he's right now in your he's in, he's in your five spot. So in your in your top four, I mean, you got you got two real top four defensemen in McAvoy and Carlo. I think Riley is still a fringe third second line def, uh, defense pair. It's just not good enough. Like your goal at the end of the day, guys, for where the Bruins are at, is to win a Stanley Cup. The the Red Wings are not in a position to win a Stanley Cup. The Senators not. Buffalo's not. The Bruins are. That's their goal. Some teams it's to get better and to and to rebuild. The Bruins are not in rebuild mode right now. Not with the not with the the leadership that they still have in Bergeron and Marchand. And they didn't do a good enough job addressing their defense in the offseason. That's how I felt then. That's how I feel now. It's how I'm going to feel at the trade deadline. I don't care if they're if they're running away with the president's trophy because I know what it's going to take to. Um, for them to win a Stanley Cup, you, you see it every single year. You see the, the, the makeup of different teams. I know we talked last last week, Scott. Like some defense cores did it, but um, you know that weren't like the ideal ones, like Tampa last year or St. Louis year before. I get that, but I still know what I'm seeing. And the only the only team that won a Stanley Cup with a defense core that I said was not a Cup winning defense was the Penguins the year when Latang went down. I don't know how they pulled that off. Well, I do. They had Crosby and and, and some others, but um, the Bruins the defense is not good enough right now especially in the top four. It's just not. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about all year. It's 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 fairly obvious. Like, I don't understand. It really pisses me off that they couldn't go out and get Suter or Brian McCabe for a reasonable contract. I, I would like Jake, to, Jake McCabe, I'm yeah, sorry. Jake, Jake McCabe. McCabe. I would like to know if or how conversations went, if if they even were in the market for Suter. Um, that, I, I think that they were initially, for sure. I think they kick those tires or whatever you want to say. Um, but 
I think they were out pretty quickly, and I I don't know if that was from Suter's end, if he yeah. looked at it and said, you know, Boston's not on my list, or there's no way, or if it was on the Bruins' end where they decided, no, nah, we're not going to go that many they prob- years. They probably got out, and then the price and in the, in the term dropped. That's probably what happened. They probably got out when they thought it was going to be four and five, whatever it was, or five and four, whatever it was. They probably got out, and they and and they didn't they didn't do their job and stick around long enough to see the price come down. I mean, honestly, because there's no way there's no way that that suitor's looking at Dallas with you know Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, which you know it's not 2016 anymore, so they haven't really been high end players for a few years. I mean, they're still a really good team. I like Dallas; they're a playoff team. Don't get me wrong. We'll get to see him Saturday. We'll get to see him Saturday. Like like. Sue does not go to a bad team. Like he has a chance to win a cup there, I think, um, if all goes right for them. And that's like a low key Bruins rivalry. There's bit. been some. There's been some Dallas games that were very memorable yeah, well, and physical. Yeah, and... yeah. Um, 2009 and 2011. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you can't tell me Suter looked at the Bruins and said, "Oh, I don't want to go play with Bergeron and Hall and Martian and Pac- uh, McAvoy and Pashnak and all yeah. these guys." Like, I mean, come on! Like that he would have been on a pairing with McAvoy, right? Like, like there's, there's no way the Bruin, the Bruins, they, they they got out of the pool before before the uh, lifeguard told them to. Essentially, is what happened, and and they're gonna pay for it because I, I that was that was brutal. Like, where you sitting at free agency and great bottom six acquisitions, fine. Lena Solmark, five five million a year. Okay. Where is this top left shot defense? And I know we, we we made light of it. We were talking about it before it happened. I was like, oh, they're going to pick Derek Forbert. And sure as shit, they picked Derek <laughs> Forbert. And again, fine if you want him as your third pair defenseman. Like, you need that kind of guy in your blue line, I think. But not where they have him slotted. Because what they're going to do, Scott and Bridget, is they're going to they're gonna switch it up. Like, it's going to be Forbert and McAvoy with the lead. It's going to be McAvoy and Grizzick without when, when they're chasing the game. And it's just like... You know, is that is that a real way to kind of gain like um, true chemistry back there? Like, I don't know. Like, it's fine to do it here and there, but that's that's what they're going to do all year. Yeah, and I could see them at some point just deciding, like, you know what, Grizzly McAvoy's are our pair. Like, I... they're effective when they're out there at five and five, and I think that gets you through the regular season, like it did last year. Right, and you can win a lot of games by rolling those two in your top line out for you know, 10 minutes of five-on-five five action a night where they totally dominate and keep the puck in the O-zone. Uh, the question is then, of course, as it was last year, is does that hold up in the playoffs? And what are you, you know, how are you trying to work it out come playoff time? Um, because, you know, even last year, like, do you remember early last season, Grizzly, like, the first few games was getting, like, 22, 23 minutes. Yeah. Like, it, and, it, and everyone was like, are they like comfortable with that? And Cassidy was like, eh, we probably prefer to be closer to 20, but you know, we're just rolling with it. And then once Grizzly started battling injuries, like he came back and from there on, he was basically like 18 minutes a night. So it was like, they clearly realized like, all right, but there's gotta be some load management here. Like yeah. this isn't a player who's gonna hold up for 22, 23 minutes a night. Well, also like, I think if McAvoy and Grizzly were to play together this year on a, on a consistent basis, I actually think they'd do better this year than they did last year. Because last year was kind of like... I want to see them together again. You do or you do not. I do. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think we will um, at, at, at different times. But, like, last year, guys, the season, the way that the schedule was set up, it was like a mini playoff series. You played the same seven teams eight, seven times, whatever it was. So it was like there was so much familiarity. Um, but this year, they'll be traveling from city to city. Teams are only going to see them once, twice, maybe three times. Um, and and it'll, it'll be more... I, I, less taxing, I think. But... 
playoffs is not that way. It's like you said. So, like, you know, you look back to the Bruins Cup teams, whether they won or they lost, um, you know, Boychuk, Ference, McQuaid, Seidenberg, Char. Like, I understand it doesn't have to be that exact blueprint, but they, they do need to be a little bit, um, I think, sturdier back there in the blue line. And right now, uh, it's a little small, um, specifically on, well, I guess Grizzly and Clifton are different sides, but we'll see what happens. Um, I don't want to go too long before it's breakfast time, but yes. Uh, did you want to get to any of the other questions briefly? I think just maybe two more uh, with quick answers, which are which Bruin will do better than anticipated and which Bruin are you most concerned about heading into the season? I don't know which you guys want to do first. Uh, so the we are posting this on the website on Friday, and I have not completely finalized my answers yet, but I'm thinking – Better than anticipated, at least for me, because I was actually a little down on this signing. Uh, I'm going to go with Eric Halla, who I think has looked really good in the preseason. Um, You know, his career has basically been like, he had one great season in Vegas when he played in the top six, where he had 55, 56 points, almost 30 goals. Um, And other than that, it's basically produced like a... solid third line sometimes even a fourth line rate um but he's looked good he's done i think everything the bruins want out of the third line center and i like what i've seen i think he's fit well with debrusque and felino um and again when they made that signing to me it was like all right you've signed three different depth forwards and i'm not sure any one of them is really like much of a game changer and I still know, like I still don't think I'd call Hall a game changer, but I once when you see him play, like you see more than maybe what like some of the numbers were, and you know I just think he brings a different dynamic to that line. They're gonna have more speed between him and DeBrusque, and I can see some good things happening there. He also can play on both the penalty kill and the power play, so I see him being a pretty important part of this team, and I can see him having. A really solid season. So I'm just curious, real quick, what do you, what would you define a game changer as? Um, because I have a definition that I, he's exactly ability, what a game changer could be. Ability to take over for a stretch of a game, or make, or make the kind of play where like there's almost nothing happening, and mm. you make the something happen. Okay, so I, I like that definition, and with that definition. You and I would agree 10 out of 10 times about who the Bruins' game changers are. But a different version of a game changer is, like, just what that means. Like, he's the kind of guy that you're in double overtime in the playoffs, and he's the kind of guy that scores a goal because that's third lines can make that difference. Or he's the guy that, you know, does something in the regular season to win a big game, you know, because you're counting on Pashnak or Marshan, but they're being defended real hard, and then the game changer comes in. So, like... In that sense, I, that's why I kind of like the addition of him. Uh, he looks really good in the preseason. Um, who are you worried about? Or did you want to jump into on Hala? I'll, no, not on Hala, but just um, who I think could do better than anticipated. I'm just going to give a quick answer. I, I think it needs to be Charlie Coyle, but that's not my actual answer. Um, my actual answer is Jeremy Swayman, and I know we have high hopes for him already. But I just have a feeling that eventually he's going to end up stealing playing time. And I can see a scenario where because of his performances in the nights that he actually gets on the ice, he could end up stealing 
70 percent of the starts uh, by the end of the season. In my mind, I know this is like we're doing predictions and this is kind of like a probably a step further than some people would be willing to take it. But I just think that he's the kind of player that could end up stealing the starting role if Linus Olmark, um they're going to push each other. And I, for some reason, I just think Swayman mm. has a gear that's higher. I like that one. I like that you brought up Coyle. Um, he and he and Allmark, I'm going to put under the category of like, they both better be what, better than what we're anticipating because the team's going to need them. So if some, an off-the-cuff player that I think could be better than anticipated is going to be um, Nosek. Yeah, I, I was I, thinking about him too. I think the fourth line is been an Achilles seal for the Bruins um, the last two years. Even when they won the President's Trophy right before COVID, like, you know, clearly it wasn't good enough in the, in the bubble playoffs. The year before, when there was Achari and um, Nordstrom, uh, was it Nordstrom? Yeah. And uh, and, and Corrali was good. The year before that with Achari, Corrali, and Schaller, it was good. Um, it hasn't been as good. So can Nosek come in and put up 12 goals, 10, 12 goals? I think he could. Um, I absolutely think he could. Who's a player I'm concerned about? Um, I almost chose this guy for... The last question, but I'm going to say Felino, um, and I'm I'm worried about him because uh, injuries, and I I'd ra- I know he has some back issues or has had some back issues and whatnot. I mean, I think that if he's healthy, uh, he he's he's a guy who could put up 20 goals for you this year. So it's not really a performance thing on the ice; it's about health with him, and so that I'm nervous about him being uh, staying healthy. I think it's funny that you say that he could have been on either of them because. <laughs> Considering they're both like opposite, you know, they're, they're opposite positions. Well, and no, yeah. but I'm agreeing yeah. with you because he's off the radar. Right. Like he's kind of some somebody that's just been under the radar this whole preseason. Right. Probably someone we haven't got to see enough. I'm encouraged by just the third line in general. And, you know, he's going to contribute to that and be a veteran on that line. So he's somebody that I think we don't have a good gauge on yet, so it makes sense that you think that it could go well, either way. And I, I've actually watched a lot of Nick Foligno, and I've liked him every single game I've watched him no, play. No, and me too. It's just but with this of, team, he's on a completely sure. different line. He, it's yes. going to be a different dynamic for him. But it, but but there could be many Bruins fans that like haven't watched him at all, or there could be some you know people that are just trying to hate on the Bruins offseason moves. That uh, he who's the well, Nick Foligno is a—he's a former captain in this league. He's not—you know—we talk about people's ages. He's not that old. He's like 33, mm-hmm. 34. Yeah. I mean, for reference, so is Marchand, and and Bergeron's like thirty-six. Krejci's thirty-five if he were still here. So like Foligno's—he's not like, you know, he's not like uh, Chara back there. He's in his early mid thirties. Um, still has some game left, and he's a good player. He has a good scoring touch. Um, health-wise, I'm nervous, but performance-wise, I think he could—he could be twenty-plus goals, which is and- why he would be. Um, on that list of, like, could he uh, outperform his anticip- anticipation from some people? And I think he's, quote-unquote, a Bruin, right? His yeah. mentality, his just the way he approaches the game in kind of an old-school way, um, he's a Bruin. And that, I think people will like him for that. Well, he'll that be, was another thing Cam Neely said today. He was like, Nick Foligno was meant to be a Bruin. Well, and I, I'm excited for, like, I think, like, for you to, like, um... You know, in the press this year, like I think he'll be a great interview. Like he's he's a really he seems like a really good guy. Um, obviously he has like um, you know, uh, family reasons as to why he's attached to Boston as well with his daughter at uh, um, was it Boston Children's Hospital. Yeah. So like, 
you know, he wants to be in Boston. He's a good interview. He's a former captain in this league. He's a current leader. He's he's look. Your, your captains are Bergeron and, and Martian and McAvoy and Pashnak and like and Carlo. They may wear, they may like alternate the letters on the on the, on the jerseys this year. I bet Felino wears a sure, letter at some point for but, even if it's just a game or two here or there. Or someone's out or whatever. Yeah, but even even if he doesn't though. He's he's a captain in that room without the letter. Um, very similar to when Bergeron was under under Charles captain. See, like you don't have to have the letter. Like he he's a captain in this league, and, and that'll be felt in the room. So I like his addition a lot. Who, Scott, who are you nervous about? Uh, so the obvious answer would be Forbord, but I'm not going to take the easy way out because, as we've already laid out, my expectations weren't all that high for him to start with. Uh, I'm going to say one that I'm nervous about that i'm concerned about is still charlie coyle i mean a very encouraging first game he, his well, first and only preseason pre, game he yeah. only played one encouraging he, he looked good he looked like he had good burst um fit in well with hall and smith well he's gonna had, take he, he had a goal and an assist it would be crazy if he didn't take a step up in pretty much every stat category because of who he's with yeah and and I think, like, yes, his raw numbers will definitely be better. Like, they just have to be, to your point, because of who he's playing with. Um, I just wonder, can he be good enough to make the second line a strength? Because the wings in that line are good enough for that to happen. And with those wings, you don't need your center to be elite. You don't necessarily need it to be Krejci, you know, playing at his best. But you at least need him to be good and to keep up and to be able to handle the tougher matchups that that line's going to see. Um, and I think that remains to be seen. That's something that's going to have to play out, you know, over the course of at least several weeks, if, if not longer than that. Like, we're not going to know for sure after one or two games. Um, and, you know, Coyle has, I would say for some stretches during his career, has played like a second-line player. And I think I'm thinking particularly of the second half of the 2019-20 season, just before the COVID pause, he was playing really well. He was playing like a top six forward. And there's reason to be concerned about him, not even just the production standpoint, but the injury standpoint. So I understand where you're coming from. I personally am optimistic about it and um, just the chemistry in general on that line. Um, there are reasons to believe that this could it could be a strength. The second line could be a strength at the end of the day. Um, the chemistry was there. I know small sample size preseason one game, but when you can just see it already, um, and it's not just—I mean—the guys have commented on it. That Coyle was asked about it, he says he sees the chemistry. Cassidy was asked about it, he sees the chemistry. So you could have a concern about Coyle's health, and and you know, is he really a second line guy? But at, that line in general, I think, has such a such high potential this year that that's why it makes. He, that just makes him not as big of a concern for me just because of just when you put them together with those two. Yeah, I think to what you just said, Bridget, like I, I think I think Hall and, and Craig Smith, like I think they'll have some good years. So I think that even if Coyle's struggling, I think they'll be able to elevate his game. And I think that, like you said, Scott, he's shown when he was healthy a few years ago, he, he can play really well. Um, I guess time will tell. I'm really curious to see when and, and, and more more importantly, how Jack Stanika finds his way into the lineup because, uh, you know, I could see in a full 82, I don't know, is 10 and 20 that crazy? Could he put up 30 points, 25 points? Is that crazy? And and, and if the answer is yes, it's like, 
don't you want that guy in your lineup somewhere? So I'm curious to see how that plays out. Obviously, he might not get 82 games to to, to show what he could do in a full season. But I, if he did, I can see putting up 10 and 20. So, I'd be happy if he got 50. Well, that's probably a lot to expect in one in, in his first full year. Um I mean, no, 50 games. 50 games. You looked at me like I had three heads. <laughs> no, 50 games. He's I mean, not I mean, playing I mean, a full say, if, season. If Coyle could put up 50 points, that'd be nice. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, think, I think, you know, you'll probably see something like that, if, if not maybe more. Because, like, you know, you could, if, if, if they can't, you know, if Coyle plays well and you don't want to take that spot away from Coyle. You could see, like, I think Scott mentioned before, like, you could see, like, a Hala go down to the fourth line and, and move uh, one of those guys, Nosek, to the wing, and Frederick can sit out if, like, if he's not playing well. And then you can put Sadiq on the third line. But, uh, again, like, we'll see how that happens. I'm just curious, uh, you know, the mind is curious uh, about Sadiq. Um, but, yeah. So, my, I haven't got to the player I'm most concerned about yet, and my answer is Linus Allmark. Mm-hmm. Um, I alluded to this in my first answer about who's going to outperform or um, who's going to be better than anticipated. And on the flip side of Swayman being better than anticipated, that would have to mean that Linus Allmark was um, of concern, um, not being consistent, maybe. And he's also a concern just right off the bat because of injury history. So... Um, he's the one I'm concerned about. He didn't impress the same way that a few guys did during the preseason. He's new here. Um, he, in his career in general, I don't know if we've seen what he truly is yet, um, if that makes sense. So he's hard to gauge. And I just, in my mind, the way this season goes is Swayman takes over. And that would mean that Linus Allmark is someone that could end up being a concern. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've thought that since day one that Swayman's, Swayman's play is going to force the hand. He's going to be the number one guy, and then the Bruins are going to be sitting there with with a, with a backup goalie who's a 1B, but they're paying four times as much as Swayman, and it's just like, all right, sick investment. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, I, I mean... I still, I still think things are going to ultimately play out the way I've kind of anticipated. Like, I, st- I, I think Allmark is... Going to be okay, maybe not great, but I think he'll be fine. And I think even if Swayman is better and becomes the clear one in this tandem, they're still not going to ride him because he's still a player who's never played more than 35 games in a season. So I don't see them really under any circumstances going above, like, 50 games for Swayman. So, hmm. like, you know, that that would be a split where, like, he is the clear number one if it ends up being 50-30 yeah, or see that? Do you see that, like... In the beginning of the season, he gets less games, and by the end of the season, he's taking more games, and that's how he gets to 50 games? Like, Because in my mind, he starts out even but ends up with more time. So um, it, I can, it's I can, not like it's spread out equally among among the season. I think that you're going to see it ramp up. I can almost see it going the opposite way, actually. Ramp down? Uh, because I could see him playing more early because because of Allmark's struggles, and now you get both Cassidy and Neely recently have made comments along the lines of like, "Well, Allmark was injured to end last season, and we knew he was going to take some time to get up to speed this training camp, which is like not what we were hearing going into training camp." So part of me is like that kind of just feels like they're covering for the guy. Um, but if the, if there's actually truth to that, and they're like. 
oh, he, he needs more reps. He needs, you know, some more time to find his feet. Like, I can actually see Swayman, them riding Swayman a little bit more early on while Allmark continues to get up to speed. And then, you know, in order to manage his load, then you start splitting. As it, like, you're going to give someone else more playing time, even though Swayman is clearly, like, carrying his weight? I, I think you see fifty five twenty seven or or fifty fifty thirty two at the at the least. Like I think Swayman should play fifty five games. I think um, that's I think that might be asking too much of him. I, right, well, why, we'll why, see. Why? Because like, he's never played that many before. Yeah, and, but that's if, not a good reason if, in my mind. If, like, he's, he's if, you're because, there. if you're planning to make a deep playoff run, like you have to be aware of that. You, you may be scarred from what what we've seen in the past with Bruins goalies who haven't been able to. F- finish out a whole season and be healthy through a playoffs but like he doesn't have the story doesn't have to be that way for him so, uh, so, so all right so, so scott what what would your magic number be for swayman to play 40 42 40 uh 45 okay but 50 but 50 50 55 is that much crazier or 50 yeah well especially like if you're getting down the stretch so they have a brutal april schedule they have 15 games in 28 days in april so like that in particular, and hopefully you're in a pretty comfortable spot playoff-wise, and you don't need to be, you know, riding one goalie into the ground at that point. But, like, that in particular is where you're going to have to make sure guys are, and not even just in goal, but whether it's Bergeron, you know, some load management down the stretch when you get to that point. Because that's... I'm glad yeah. we're in disagreement about this because, the, like... We get along too this, often. <laughs> this is going to just be something we're going to argue about the whole season, probably. So we'll see. Uh, it's it's good that we don't agree I mean, on everything. What I'll say is this. In this division specifically, uh, points are going to be at a premium. And, like, there's going to be times this year where the Bruins are gonna have to, they're going to have to pull out some points. And I just think that if, if, if Swayman... If the team plays a certain way in front of, in front of Swayman... And Swayman's playing to a certain standard. I have a hard time believing that they're going to be. Eh, no, we don't want to get into fifty-five games. It's too much. He's only played thirty games in the NCAA. Okay, how many games did Charlie McAvoy play before his rookie year? It's different. It's different skaters oh, versus much. goalie. Okay, all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I just disagree. I, I think like, I'm not. I don't think he's playing eighty-two games. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think 50-55 is asking that much. I mean, the kids, the kid loves to play hockey. I, I, I think it'll be fine. How many goalies in the NHL are playing 55 to 60 games? Well, I think that it's been shifting over the last few years, but that is, historically, I feel like in the NHL, the number one goaltender played about 60 of the games. I agree, historically. Yeah. Okay, so That's not what goalies are doing now. It's it's like pitching in baseball for whatever, for better or worse, whether it makes total sense or not, like, guys aren't, goalies aren't playing as much as, they used to, and yeah, it's if, really if a team, only a select few. If a team has a capable second goalie, and a, not every and team again, does. And this comes back to, I think the Bruins will, because I think Linus Allmark will be that, despite a tough preseason. Yeah, I think he'll be good, too. I I, I, I don't look at this preseason, and I'm not I'm not pessimistic about Allmark. I, I think he'll be a good goalie for them. I just don't want them to be in a situation where you're paying a backup $5 million when and, and then you're playing him because of the contract. When Swayman... Like, I think that they weren't willing to take the risk on Swayman just just yet and sign a you know a lesser contract with a lesser goaltender. So it makes sense. The move makes sense, but they if they end up 
with Swayman as their their one A guy, it's gonna be. It, it's just it's because this was their backup plan, not or maybe it wasn't their backup plan, but they they at least, at least felt more comfortable with that combination rather than Atuka Swayman, yeah, or, yeah. or another free agent that you were gonna sign for less. And, and Don Sweeney said as much today. He was asked about the goaltending situation, and he said like, you know, they like Swayman, they liked him going into this off season, but he had only played ten NHL games, and they weren't. In not the same words, he basically said, like, we couldn't take the chance that yeah. how he played in those 10 games was definitely going to carry over. Um, and they wanted more certainty in the goalie that Swain was going to split the net with. So that Which is how you end up trading Vladar, because he was another young goalie. So, yes, that would have freed up a lot of money. You would have had a very cheap goaltending situation had you kept Vladar and gone with him and Swayman. But they just weren't willing to take that chance. They weren't willing to bet on two youngsters. They just they wanted to go get someone who they thought would provide more certainty, and they thought Olmark was that player. And that that move makes sense because that would have been a very risky uh, wager if you had just gone Ladar Swayman. Like that seems too risky for for most people to feel comfortable with. I, look, I I understand why they went on and got Olmark. Like I don't I don't disagree with the decision. I I question. The, the term and, 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 and the, the salary, but like I understand them being nervous about playing Swayman and Vladar. I get that. But again, about the he's ever played X amount of games. So that's like one thing you hear is like, well, in, in Canadian junior hockey, like those goalies play more of an NHL length schedule. Okay, great. So Carter Hart comes into the NHL with experience of playing a lot of games and he's struggling. And then you have somebody like, um, Hellebuck out in Winnipeg, NCAA Hockey East guy. Now, I do think he played a year and a half or so down in the minors, maybe played that 55-game mark. But well, And he was on he was on the lower end of a split to start yeah. his NHL career as well. Yeah. With, um, uh, who was the goalie that they had? Someone was very overpaid. Yeah. And it quickly I, became evident that Hellebuck was better, yeah. but I, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I guess all I would say... Before we go to you know to hit the six hour mark in the podcast is like sometimes yeah. <laughs> sometimes sometimes when you're watching a player you just know that that they have an it factor and that certain analytics don't necessarily have to apply to them because it it makes common sense that like it would be the contrary like like Swayman hasn't played thirty five games in his career well let's see if he can do fifty five this year in the NHL or fifty and 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 if Allmark is playing well there won't be a need for it but if Allmark struggles. And your team has to make the playoffs. He may be called upon. That's all I'm saying. And and if that's the case, don't be afraid to play him a few extra games if you have to. Yeah, that's all. Fair enough. That's I, all. What I I just don't want to see them ride swing into the point so much that they get to the playoffs and oh, he kind of looks worn down a little. You know, like okay, fair enough. Just don't get to that point. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, if Allmark plays well. And they can both go like forty, like whatever it is, forty, forty-one, forty-two, and then swimming gets the playoffs, great. Or whoever the better goalie is, that's fine. But um, all right, so we'll end it there. Um, Bridget, you had the Bruins finishing third in the Atlantic. Yes. Scott, you had them finishing third. Second. Second. Yep, I've got. I've and got you the, have them fourth. I have them as the wild. I've got the Boston Toronto two-three matchup again, just nice. like old times. Very nice. Um, yeah, I, I have the Bruins finishing the wild card, but I do have them going further than. Uh, 
you know, Toronto and Florida. I just think that they'll be a Final Four team. They have to be. It's it could be Bergie's last year. So, um, by the way, Andre Pavlik was the Winnipeg goal I was thinking of. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. Scott, know. are we traveling for the there. playoffs this year? Uh, I don't know. Talk to whoever has the money at this place. It's not me. No, it'll be it'll be me. <laughs> Is that anybody? <laughs> um. All right. Do you guys have any closing thoughts? No. Let's go Saturday night. <laughs> He's right. gonna. He's gonna be. He's gonna need another. Oh, Uber. I'm gonna have so much popcorn. It's gonna be incredible, guys. It's gonna be so oh, irresponsible. God. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening to episode 64, and uh, we'll talk to you guys after uh, next week after the first few Bruins games. Bye.